Welcome, thinkers, to Season 3, Episode 12. Today's topic is horror. And today I'm joined by Charlie from the Negative Modifier podcast. Thank you ever so much for joining us today, Charlie. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey there. Happy to be here. Uh, my name is Charlie. I'm the GM, handler, storyteller, whatever game we've gotten to when this goes up. Arbitrary game master <laughs> term uh, for the Negative Modifier podcast, a podcast that, despite my best efforts, keeps drifting into horror i've been yeah that's kind of the big thing i'm involved in the tabletop rpg space i run that show and kind of similar to i'm sure what your setup is it's editor and a variety of other stuff that goes along with that but i've been playing tabletop rpgs on and off for i did the math relatively recently like i think there were i hate when people do this but it's a useful kind of descriptor of things mm. uh give or take 15 years uh on and off. I, I like the joke that actually breaking my shoulder got me back into the hobby because <laughs> video games were actually physically painful to play because of the movement involved. I could feel it yeah. echoing up the bones in my arm, which is a whole thing I would never wish on anyone. Okay, that sucks. I'm sorry to hear. Yeah, uh, but also glad it. that you it got you back into TTRPGs. So, yes. You know. uh, blame Starfinder for all of this. <laughs> okay, uh, so amazing. So thank you so much for joining us today. And indeed... Today's topic is horror. So what does that mean to you in the D&D and wider TTRPG framework? So I think it's a complicated topic. I think a lot of people interpret horror in very specific ways. Obviously, you have the big kind of Call of Cthulhu game out there. It's the it, and I guess to a lesser extent, but probably more so I'm giving you credit for, you got the World of Darkness games. They're your two kind of mm -hmm. horror tentpole games, which as a result means... Everyone thinks horror and kind of RP tabletop RPGs is either personal horror, a la World of Darkness, or cosmic eldritch horror, courtesy of Call of Cthulhu. And mm -hmm. both are correct. Um, I think they kind of, there's a fun spot where the two meet in the middle where it becomes real horror, I guess, in my perspective, which is why I play lots of Delta Green, which is a game that lets you take the personal horror of the kind of more evolving, very story-driven, character-focused reacting to these horrible things happening to them aspects and smash it up against the eldritch cosmic horror of the unknowable mm -hmm. and kind of that sense of fear. I, the advice I actually give lots of people that are trying to understand how to run a horror game is go watch the show Chernobyl because that show does a fantastic job of turning radiation, which is both a abstract but very real mm -hmm. monster, into a unsettling invisible presence and kind of using that same idea where just it's like you have the mundane you have scenes of people being like yeah they're gonna walk across this room why is that terrifying well we put this the radiation music in the background and so you know the room is highly radiated and that's the terrifying spot and mm -hmm. it's the i think a lot of people kind of go hard in the paint where it's like okay i i need to have as many terrifying images as possible and i think they kind of don't let it breathe in the correct way but yeah it Horror is that kind of interesting spot for me where you can have an adventure, you can do heroic things, but you feel uncomfortable doing it. I think that's kind of one of the more important things people don't get about the genre when it comes to tabletop RPGs. There's lots of debate about whether you can even run a horror game and mm. stuff like D&D because it's so action-adventure kind of associated. It's like, no, you're powerful. That's fine. 
what you're up against maybe shouldn't be equally powerful, but it should be unsettling. So mm-hmm. it's been a long kind of roundabout way of saying that I think a lot of people get hung up on trying to run Texas Chainsaw Massacre in a game where you can literally throw lightning bolts. That doesn't work. <laughs> there's kind of ways you can get around that, though. Like, there, there's, there are aspects of horror, I think, that belong in every tabletop RPG setting and game. Like, I, if your players are kind of just joyfully entering a cavern that's got something called, like, the Doom Beast in it, mm-hmm. I'm all for having fun, kind of jokey games, but also, the Doom Beast should be scary. Like, it, it yeah. should have at least some grandiose aspect with your players are going, ha, this thing might kill us, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, horror is... is- it's a tricky thing to do just from a, like a literary perspective, uh, you know, to, to do well. So I can only imagine, you know, translating that across to people who aren't literary trained or aren't horror creators and they're trying to run a campaign that's horror focused is, is absolutely, obviously needs a bit of a more focused touch, I should say, rather than just your generic fantasy swords and sorcery, because everybody's a lot more familiar with that. And it's a, I don't know if I'm going to get, you know, like, you know, hung for this, but I would say maybe the, the stories may be slightly simpler or slightly easier to tell in, like, quote-unquote generic fantasy versus, say, you know, a niche horror subgenre. And that's that's a brilliant segue down low, because um, in, in some research for this, I was Googling different types of horror, because I'm, you know, personally familiar with, like, body horror and, like, yeah. gore and, you know, like that of the fly and then like psychological and thrillers and then cosmic or Lovecraftian and whatnot. And so I Googled that. I feel, I feel like there's quite a few more than that. And the list that came back, I was like, Ooh, Ooh, there's wow. Okay. There's like 20 and ones I've never heard of before. And, but I have definitely experienced and that immediately hit me as like, yeah, okay. I can see this being a very tricky subject and a very awkward in a way to play effectively. Well, and I think it's, you're touching on kind of an interesting aspect of the kind of horror genre of things is that people get very caught up in it being one type of thing where I think kind of from a literary standpoint, people get very kind of bogged. Okay. I'm telling an epic journey. I'm telling a hero quest. I'm telling something very specific with horror. It's here's your tools or kind of here's your like build set, put them together. However you want, like your body horror pairs well with your cosmic horror that pairs well with kind of your, atmospheric horror that then pairs mm-hmm. well with some thriller aspects of it and it's kind of a becomes a topic of pacing and when you reveal these things and kind of less is more and mm-hmm. an example i guess i'll use is one of those things where it's like you can fill a room with horrible viscera and mutilated corpses your eyes turn blue type of thing like it's you can go way too far with that or if you kind of really dig down okay went to a room and there's a table with a candle on it that's it. That's all that's of note in the room and kind of, and then you start playing with, okay, like you're, you're walking around this table. It's like, well, what would we notice? Nothing at first. Maybe give me some checks at that point. And then you kind of like, oh, none of you have shadows, by the way. Kind of, it's, I think it's like, you, my style very much goes to our podcast has me just kind of slowly sliding in little moments where it's like, here's this very, to many, kind of unsettling or mundane situation where it's like, this is weird, but not inherently a bad one. And then just like, okay, here's the aspect that makes this a situation type of thing and it's kind of slided in under the, everyone's nose where it's like oh yeah by the way you have no shadows and um you're not alone what's well, with us shadows not our shadows no <laughs> yeah that it, as soon as you said that like you guys don't have shadows i was like oh yeah i would love to be role-playing in that you know ha- having a character and thinking about how they would respond to that is a very 
interesting setup. And I'm, I'm grinning here because I'm like, oh, I want to I play in a game that's like that. And we've had a similar, I'm lucky in the, uh, the DM for one of my games, we, we had a, a very similar, you know, you've, you found a, you're in a, an abandoned house, uh, you know, in a residential area, but you find like a secret door that, you know, descends into the basement and there's, it was more like a cult themed and there was no light and it was it was more atmospheric there was nothing overtly like you don't you know nothing overtly missing or out of place or uncanny but it was still very much like i my, my guy is uncomfortable in this room <laughs> and yeah. i'm uncomfortable feeling that he's uncomfortable in this room and we we should get out as soon as possible and that is i'd like i, I would say i would say I'm willing to die on this hill and say trickier to achieve from a, from a game master's perspective than it is to say, here's this foul dragon and you must yeah. slay him to, to get the hoard of gold. And that's it. Yeah, I'm not going to say it's like you have to be more imaginative, but I think you have to kind of, you have to have a certain relationship with your players, I guess. Like it's one of those ones where I can make up a traditionally uncomfortable or kind of horrifying scene for any random group I get into, but what we do on the podcast is much more specialized. I know my players pretty well, and we kind of have a, we have kind of an unwritten trust of like, okay, here's stuff I won't touch ever because it's like too far for this game we're playing mm -hmm. for a podcast, but like anything up to that point is fair game, and I think it's one of those ones where I think it's not me trying to launch into the you should play games other than D&D, &D, but I think it's a game, it's a, horror is a concept in tabletop RPGs you have to play non-tabletop RPGs that are adventure. It, you have to build from other stuff. Like there, there are other tabletop RPGs than the kind of the Pathfinders, the Dungeons and Dragons, mm -hmm. even some other stuff I like a lot that you can add aspects there, but you're never going to do a good story. Like Starfinder, a game that, despite its kind of pluses and minuses, you can run some fantastic horror stuff in that because it's got the backdrop of space. Mm -hmm. And kind of that's inherently unsettling, but I would never make it the kind of main focus. I would add in kind of like alien or aliens the movie type of aspects towards like yeah no you're on this ghost ship and it's full of weird sounds but mm -hmm. you can, you're gonna you're gonna fight the monster eventually and they're gonna be victorious because that's what pushed the story along so i guess like a campaign i've run in that was that it was a bunch of starfinder people investigating and she was started off as a mining dispute that then turned into missing miners that then kind of led them to a kind of chain of biological weapon research stations then led them back to an infiltration ring in the Starfinder Society type of stuff where, like, you had this kind of fun horror thing in the center where it's like, yeah, you're on this essentially derelict, rogue, genetic compound science facility that's full of a bunch of lab projects that have gone haywire, and, hey, you come to a room full of... Remember the last uh, little arc we just did? Yeah, it's full of the boss from that. Rolling <laughs> tubes, you can flush all... You have to fight all of them, but... Like, I, I think I said this right, there's a pacing to it that... yeah. That's the part you have to learn, I guess, where kind of it's, you have to bring back elements, you have to kind of, you have to tell a story that it's kind of more like the trappings on top of the story, like, okay, here's what the horror aspect is, you're still telling a story that has to have a traditional kind of arc to it, you just have yeah, to add. Yeah, a beginning and a middle and an end, yeah. Yeah, because it's like, and with some games, the ending is, and then the players die because they met Cthulhu and that kills you, and that doesn't work for every group. <laughs> yeah, so here's a train of thought that I've just had and follow me as I jump take you through the steps of my brain um you're saying there like the types of horror and the trappings and, and how many and how frequently in the pace and stuff you would uh, that's obviously the kind of things you discuss with your players and and I think it's of equal importance to a number of other things that you would cover in a session zero but you know I think 
a heads up to your players of this there might be some spooky bits here or you know and it, you know and in which case you know how much is too much and, and what's off the off the record or not loud and, and stuff like that and it got me thinking of um a, a video game new dlc came out for a video game that i love called uh, outer wilds and some dlc came out recently and it's very much this atmospheric loneliness horror spooky elements to it and there's there's a couple of more active elements to it so much so that when you when you start the game there's no spoilers it's the first thing you see when you actually start the dlc it says do you want to turn on a mode which is called reduced frights and it's literally just that like do you want to turn on it doesn't tell you anymore doesn't tell you what that means doesn't tell you what's going to change because of it it just says are you a bit of a scaredy cat I'm that's not there that's my wordings not theirs <laughs> they word it a lot better because are you more susceptible to that kind of stuff do you want to turn on a reduced frights mode and that just really made me think because I, I have a friend a close friend and we, we played through both the, the main game and the DLC together and he was like, oh man I couldn't I just couldn't I hated that part because it was I was so scared and to me I was like oh no that was oh, that was fine I wasn't too scared that was fine and that really there's such a huge you know the difference between what people find unnerving and and scary so much so that you know there's a mode in in some games to be like i don't want this to be as scary because i won't enjoy it as much whereas to me i was like i couldn't even point out the bits to you that would need to be toned down and this isn't me being like ah i'm never scared by anything because i absolutely am but even on this small scale you need to have that be like oh okay it'll be fine i'm only using a little bit of body horror here or a little bit of spooky occult nonsense over there but you, someone in your party will be like oh no that's way too much for me um <laughs> i have i'm really unsettled by this so i think you're absolutely right in that you know as, as early in the cycle as you can have that discussion <laughs> well i think i benefit from kind of a weird mindset on this one where i have a love-hate relationship with horror movies i think a lot of kind of modern horror movies are garbage because they mm-hmm. rely on jump scares too much and yep. i hate jump scares like i i've talked about this in a couple other podcasts and i'll joke about it every once in a while like my now wife at one point the first time she went back to meet my parents informed me i lived in the blair witch project and she was <laughs> right in hindsight like the town i grew up in when it got dark out it looks like a scene from the blair witch project and mm-hmm. had never clicked for me on that one but it's one of those ones where i think and this is gonna sound weird for a second so follow me on this one I grew up in a situation where kind of looking back, it's the, oh, yeah, no, like, I, I've joked a couple times that, like, the way me and my friends growing up would play in the woods, like, just statistically, one of us should be dead by now. I'm not saying any of us <laughs> should be, but, like, no, the number yeah. of times we got lost for, like, eight hours and wandered way too deep into the woods, but still somehow came back based mm-hmm. on not horror movie logic, but just statistics. It's like, yes. yeah, someone should still be out there. <laughs> and... Growing up in that, it kind of teaches you this whole idea, and if, if you live in a place lucky enough where you can go deep into the woods or kind of way out into nature where kind of humanity and culture fades into the background, you're just kind of mm. out there. You learn subconsciously what I think kind of I, – I love cosmic horror. I love the atmospheric aspect of it. I love kind of the fact that like there's nothing you can do. It's not you versus something. It's something so much larger than you that you can only grasp its comprehension and – I think kind of being lost deep in nature is the closest humans can get in some ways mm. easily to that, where it's like there's no jump scare. It's like, yeah, they'll hear the occasional snap of something. Maybe you'll see something weird, but it's about the feeling. It's about kind of how alone you are out there. It's mm-hmm. the fact that, like, something could happen, and maybe no one would know. Like, 
how much stuff has happened weird out there. Like you come across like the remains of an old trailer or something or kind of an old campsite. How long was this here? Is someone's mm. leader? There's questions you're never going to get answers to that are part of what make that uncomfortable. And then you have jump scares where it's like, yes, spring something out of a wall at your players. And yeah, it's going to be terrifying because surprise. Mm-hmm. But I try and avoid that as much as I can or kind of what it is that it's like, no, no, we built up to this. Like, there's been plenty of hints. There's something here and the players are looking for. It's like, no, no. Yes, there's something bad in the room with you. I've been very upfront about this fact. You haven't found it yet. Why haven't we found it? Yes, why haven't you found it? <laughs> I I agree on the jump scares. I, I hate them on, on two parts. One, because they scare me, um, full, full disclosure. Uh, secondly, because I do think they can be cheap, and I think, as you said, a lot of modern horror films use them in a cheap way. Yeah. Which is, I, from an artistic point of view, I, I don't agree with that. <laughs> God, I couldn't sound more like a <laughs> an elitist if I tried. But uh, I, I do try to put the effort in it, at least in my own campaigns. I'm sure some of, some of my players would attest to that. But no, I, I absolutely agree. And it's, again, like one of those things is, uh, that's that must be, I, I've not had this discussion. You know, hands up, I haven't had a super new age session zero of my current game a because it's been going on for like two and a half years and b because i knew the guys quite well going into it so there was l- less of a need for that but i, I is that not how, how do you have that discussion and be like there's going to be a jump scare in maybe 20 sessions time is that okay i like I, who who's planned that far ahead <laughs> maybe i'm maybe i'm i just fly by the seat of my pants too much or maybe i'm my scale is way off but how how does that conversation come about how does that conversation happen when you talk to someone that does plan that insanely far in the advance with some things like i I, I guess like the way we do campaigns on negative modifiers the way i like to do campaigns is that i like reoccurring elements so Mm -hmm. i will have maybe not the entire thing written but a pretty big moment to big moment outline figured out before we even start playing where it's like okay yeah here's when some stuff will happen and like it's me being like okay this is when i need to start ramping up certain aspects of this and so I guess can I use the example of what we play a lot of mm-hmm. on Negative Modern? We play lots of Delta Green. Delta Green is one of those rare tabletop RPGs where if you're under 13, you just shouldn't play Delta Green. Honestly, if you're under 18, you probably shouldn't play Delta Green in some ways. Like just it's by the inherent nature of what that game is deliberately about, it's either probably not going to be as interesting or playing a PG version of that game is just not going to work. Like, it's mm-hmm. that weird mix of CSI, horror, investigatory, corruption. Like, there's lots of moving parts that there's no way to talk about in a kid-friendly way, I think. And yeah. you could definitely do it, but I think kind of going into a game in a setting with the expectation of, no, no, we're playing a 13+, plus, a 16+, plus, an mm-hmm. R-rated game, for lack of a better phrase. And it's like, yeah, we're playing a horror game. Mm-hmm. Your characters are aware they're in at least horror-like situations. They got to do dumb stuff because that's how horror movies work and that's how <laughs> horror games work. And this kind of like an unwritten contract, I guess. At that point, I think like it's this is why there are stuff I will do definitely to my own groups and on the podcast and with my personal players. I play with a lot that I would never do in a pickup game. That like, it's the no, I could mm. go listen to. Um, I will happily run the uh, written scenario for Delta Green. Last things last for almost anyone that asks because. A, I think that's a great scenario for getting people into the game, and B, I like Delta Green a lot, so I'll happily introduce people <laughs> to the game. But the version of that we played on the podcast is dramatically different than the version of that I will play in real life. Where it's like, no, um, 
I know none of my players have problems with heart attacks, so I won't, like, on the podcast, Indeed, yeah. I played up the fact that one of the characters died of a very severe heart attack. Yeah. In person, it's like, yeah, the guy died. Of what? Heart attack. Uh, it was bad. Mm. Tragic. Yeah. Moving on as quickly as possible. <laughs> yeah, I, I need to... See, that. I, I, lo- I love this show and this podcast for these moments of when it makes me go has made me think because it's so easy even at, like i'm eating my own words because as i said a second ago like oh, i know my players and but i don't know their family histories right and it would be so easy for me to accidentally bring in something like that and i know they're all like got the big boy pants on and they can take some horror and yeah. this that, and the other but it'd be so easy for me to make that misstep because i assume that they they didn't. And here's, I mean, here's a really, really good, similar-ish example of how easy that mistake is to make. Um, and literally, I've been invited to an in-person game through for a friend. And he was like, we're looking for one more. I've got all my mates playing. You'd be a great addition. Do you want to come along? Yep. Great. I love meeting new people. I love D&D. Perfect. And I was, uh, uh, I was, you know, I wanted to make a good impression. So I was there very early. So it was quite awkward because the, 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 <laughs> the friend of a friend of, who sat in between us wasn't there. So I had to kind of, you know, we didn't have that social lubricant of... Here's Going this raw, if we will, yeah, yeah, um, and then uh, you know a bunch of other guys turned up and I'm there trying to chat away, and I saw one had a one had a tattoo on his uh, on his bicep of a bicycle, and I was like, oh, you know, uh, are you into are you into bikes? Are you? And he was like, ah, oh, not really, but my my brother who passed away recently was was, and it's is kind of you know a nod to him, and I was like, ah, oh, shit, what a faux pas to <laughs> to make, and it's. <laughs> And that's one like, way to get to know someone. Yeah, I was like, cool, great, nice on Danilo, well done. First interaction with him and I've brought up that memory. Great, well done. Uh, obviously, we're, we were out having a few beers last night. It's all, you know, hunky-dory, but it, it always makes me, I always think about that moment and it's a classic example of like, had I been DMing for him and I, I could have brought up something awkward like that and you and you never know. So I think it, even even if my... Ultimately, what I'm getting at is even if you sit arrogantly like I do and say, oh, I know my players and everything will be fine, it might well not be here. <laughs> yeah. No, and I think it's, it's just kind of an experience thing at that point. It's one of the few times where the advice I give everyone is like, just play lots of games. Play as many games as you can. Get like GM and play in just as many groups as you possibly can get in type of thing. Even if it's not a story you necessarily care that much about, you will learn something from spending time with a group of people that maybe you don't know super well, or mm-hmm. maybe it's a kind of you would never think to go about that. And like that's the it's the one facet where I think just kind of time with the hobby does equal some skill. Where it's like no, no, just the more you've kind of stumbled into and dealt with and kind mm-hmm. of gotten your hands on and gotten dirty with, the more kind of cognizant you are of it, and the kind of the more you can work towards a type of thing. Like it's. Mm-hmm. There's also kind of ways of bringing up certain topics without bringing up certain topics. Like there's, yeah, you kind of learn the tricks of how to deal with sensitive mm-hmm. information and kind of uncomfortable stuff in important way. And I think that's where a lot of people run into problems with horror as a whole, where it's, I'm not going to say it's advanced game mastering, but it's no. not entry level necessarily. Mm-hmm. But like also anyone can play Call of Cthulhu, but I'd also say the Call of Cthulhu stuff is not going to kind of blunder you into, uh, especially running the kind of written stuff with one or two exceptions, you're not going to stumble into kind of red flag territory for someone mm-hmm. by accident. It's pretty straightforward man versus monster stories with yeah. cosmic elements. It's not as personalized, I guess, at that point, which mm-hmm. is good. Yeah, yeah. I've got, that's that's made me think I've got a, an arc coming up that 
I won't go into detail for the reasons I'm about to say, but that I was like, this this bit will be really interesting and exciting. But now I'm having second thoughts about, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to drop the question to my guys and just say, I'm thinking of something that might deal at one point with this element. Is that okay? And that's what yeah. I'm going to say. And that's that should be enough to then give me the green light. So yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't want anyone to get the wrong impression. I'm not talking about like doing some horrible, grotesque <laughs> thing. It it's really is a light touch, but it's that the whole point of the discussion we're having is that horror means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, and it is very easy to to. Oh, let me let me put it another way. It's very hard sometimes to have that empathy with why people find things unsettling or whatnot. And even as I said, there's in Outer Wilds this video game. There's a bit with. Uh, I don't want to spoil it. There's just a bit where there's some large creatures that are not friendly, and yeah, my my friend was like, oh, I hated that bit. Couldn't you know? I had to look away. I had to you know. I had to take a break, and I was just there, happy as Larry. Just you know, came at it as a puzzle to to solve, a challenge to to overcome, and even that minor you know small part of a small game had such vastly different things it's it's very easy to underestimate how something can impact somebody yeah no i if you got if you want to put some negative modifier you'll realize that every single one of our episodes starts off with a content warning a little bit tailored to the game and that's because it's one of those ones where that and this kind of two thought process maybe i guess there's three there's the third camp that just doesn't give a rat's ass and kind of it's like i'm gonna do whatever the hell i want and I don't care if you're upset by this, whatever, and they're assholes. And then there's mm-hmm. my camp where it's like, I think like it's the telling stories and playing with concepts that make people uncomfortable is important to kind of analyzing that part of being human. Like we, a negative modifier, we pick games that kind of inherently deal with uncomfortable topics because those are the stories I like to run. But also it's like, there's again, going back to the kind of those nuanced ways of talking about it, there's... You don't have to be as abrupt or kind of as explicit about stuff. It's like, no, no, you, there's plenty of implied that mm-hmm. is so much worse than what you could ever say actually, but also because it's implied, people can mentally scale how comfortable they are to it. Mm. And then there's the camp that's like, I'm not going to touch anything controversial ever because I don't want to. And I respect that camp. I think it's yeah. – we live in a world where the whole – have you talked about safety tools at all on the podcast before or not really? Uh, but we, as, as I mentioned earlier on when I when I was alluding to like – modern session zero yeah. that, that uh, we've only ever talked about it in a light touch so i'm more than you know please yeah and uh, this is not the time or place to go into it because i'm not the timer i am not the person to go into great depth about safety mm-hmm. tools there are people far more knowledgeable on this topic than i am mm-hmm. but i think it's even if you're not playing with safety tools you should still kind of have the ideas of safety tools in the back of your brain like mm-hmm. it's one of those ones where I've definitely joked several times where it's like, if you can find a way as if I'm playing in your game to make me uncomfortable or like actually upset power to you, no one's ever done it. (laughs) And like, I would be interested to take that ride with you, but I suspect if you can take that ride with me, it will make everyone else at the rest of the table uncomfortable because I am a person that's kind of is willing to go to those dark places that enjoys like, okay, yeah, no, this is terrible. But like, what were you trying to say with this terribleness? Like, Mm. What about being human or kind of about kind of the nature of your story ties back? It's, oh, it's a cheap thrill? That's shitty. Mm. Like, don't don't bring up messed up stuff just to bring up messed up stuff. Like, it has to be narratively and kind of important what you're doing. Like, anyone can just fill a room of corpses. Like, oh, why are the corpses there? It's the corpse room. Right. <laughs> cool. Why are the corpses yep. there? <laughs> yeah. 
So the chapter that I'm doing at the moment is it has an otherworldly, uh, I guess, cosmic horror element to it. Far realm, you know, creatures from far realm, space between spaces as being summoned in, blah, blah, blah. But the, the reason I, I set it up, I'm quite proud of my setup. So they go to like a high, te- high ma- like arcano technological magical city floating up in the sky. And so that the first half is like, Here's how, you know, there's brooms that are just sweeping the streets and there's like holographic displays to work out, uh, you know, a map for the city. And there's, it's full of, you know, it's like Parisian opulence of, you know, cafes and yeah. bistros and all this kind of stuff. And then some cataclysmic event happens that tears, the, you know, there's cracks get torn through the city and purple light is coming out and there's, you know, creatures that are just tearing the, the you know, chaos throughout the, the streets and I wanted that juxtaposition of like here's when you see it nice and lovely the players go somewhere when they come back it's now this horror you know horrible nightmare escape of thing and I, and I wanted that was like I saw so really really layered on the like the Parisian there's birds singing and there's mu- there's light music in the air and that you know as leaves fall off the tree they disappear and reappear back on the tree and the next time they come back, I'm like, there's bodies in the streets and there's, you know, winged gargoyle-like creatures just picking, you know, plucking people off the streets and throwing them, you know, 50 foot in the air and you, you hear a dull thud and, and that kind of stuff to be juxtaposed against where they last time they saw it to, to really hammer home that that difference there. So that, that's my excuse for my the current kind of yeah no, yeah I think that's that, that's plenty enough I think it's when you have like how do I make sure this lich is evil uh this room yeah. is full of victims okay yeah you you walk in and he's cutting off somebody's head okay cool what's he doing with that head yeah 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 I know what you mean that that is so yeah he, he, again an easy way to to do it but because it's easy it means that there's less kind of impact i suppose well, i guess that, like to me what i'm saying is also like you can totally have that lich have a predilection for cutting off heads but like you should have established on multiple points prior to this like oh the lich came through how do you know no one has a head anymore mm. yeah that's such that's uh, again again another episode of reason why i love the podcast is because it makes me we're like improv here and and once you've set that precedent that you've just described the next time the players encounter someone that's missing a head for whatever reason they're immediately gonna go shit is is that the lich is the lich here do we need to be and even if it's something as benign is the wrong word but a, a workplace accident is the you know so, so, you know rather than yeah. some evil menace has done it no so it's actually interesting to bring that up so on if once goes up it may still be or maybe over at this point the uh, time of recording this the campaign we're involved in right now on negative modifier is something called Hawthorne's Crusade. And this idea of what you're talking about, kind of planting this idea that mm-hmm. multiple times comes up, correct or not, is something I do constantly in Hawthorne's Crusade. <laughs> I'm not going to reveal why Hawthorne's Crusade is called Hawthorne's Crusade or kind of what this thing is, but there's a theme looking back and kind of a concept looking back that I know it because I'm the one running it and kind of thing, and my players have kind of started to pick up on it, or Mm -hmm. they're deep enough in that they understand exactly what was going on the entire time, but the way the campaign is kind of paced and set up, there are, there's a web, and they're making a web, and 
it's not clear how many of the nodes they've connected to the web are actually part of the web or mm. are just a separate web altogether. Mm. But it doesn't matter because they keep establishing this. It's like, no, no, this thing keeps showing up every time these things happen. So it's obviously connected. Is it? <laughs> and I'm not telling them, is it? It's I'm, in my brain. I'm going like, that's something that's like, oh, you picked up on that wrong. But yeah, we're kind of go with that because like, it's, I get to have players that are actively paranoid on certain topics and I'm not mm. lying to them. It's what their characters have decided. Like, I think that's to kind of go back to a topic we touched on this whole idea of kind of relationship between player and mm-hmm. person running the game. When it comes to certain horror games, Delta Green is definitely one of these. You have to be willing to lie to your players a little mm-hmm. bit. And I don't mm-hmm. mean like lie about <laughs> dice or like no. so you die now because I say that's that don't do that. That's that's shitty type of thing. Like fudge dice if you want. I'm not gonna tell you what to do, but like don't be that guy that like runs an impossible game because mm-hmm. you want the monsters to win. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, it's okay to give them false information though, or kind of like if they start going down a mental path that's not what you wrote. Or not with the actual thing. It's like, yeah, no, totally that. And that's like, oh, but we thought this. You thought wrong. <laughs> I love. I love. I had a, an idea earlier on when you were talking about the players and their paranoia at certain elements, and that that works because it's like a self-sustaining yeah. fear cycle, and and the players are generating the emotions themselves it's one thing to have the dm say you enter into a room and there's spider webs and there's no shadows and there's the heads have been decapitated and then it's another thing entirely for the players to step into a room and go i i'm scared because of stuff that's happened in the past and the unknown of the future and i'm already scared at just just from the the premise and that is a you know a completely different thing and i think once you hit that then you're you're really hitting the you know you've done you've done the work and it's 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 a beautiful thing to watch i think <laughs> not people be scared but to have players just be so engaged and, and and aware of connotations and implications as you said that it's the self-sustaining emotion machine trademark because that sounds like a a cool tagline <laughs> yeah and i think it's like there's a the second arc of hawthorne's crusade i'm not sure what episode it is but it's early on the players figure out jokingly exactly what's going on <laughs> they say this an off like oh it can't possibly that'd be stupid if it was that and i'm like no it's that and when we got to it being realized that they're like oh shit we were right all along god damn it <laughs> this is so much worse because we were right we were like oh, i can't be that that'd be too ridiculous <laughs> and i'm sitting there like no you're you're right not going to tell you you're right because yep. that's not how this works. But like when we get there, like it, like you have this in the back of your brain, and like they kept going back to like it can't possibly be that. It'd be so obvious if it was that. It was totally that. <laughs> you underestimate my obviousness. <laughs> it was one of those things where it's like it was. I was never trying to make it not obvious, but it's one of those ones where because of how Delta Green is, how Delta Green works, it's like it can't be that simple. It's always mm-hmm. something more. It's like oh, I guess it was that simple. Oh god, bit being that simple is terrible. Yeah, yeah. Oh god, it really Why is. Why have to be simple? You know, there it is. You know, soil and green is people. Like it just is that. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. Thank you for bringing that game up again, because here's here's a a topic that I want to go on to, and I need a bit of I need your assistance for starters. So obviously, with D and D, something I'm most familiar with, there are, you know, it's there's random quote unquote random elements with the dice yeah. rolling and and so on and so on. Now, are the other TTRPGs you've mentioned today are they 
do they share that you know is there always this element of rolling a dice or flipping a coin or you know abilities or powers and stuff like that is that in everything you've mentioned today is that is that the oh case? yeah no yeah they, they all involve dice for the most part or they cool. have some similar system um i will say kind of dice rolls in an adventure driven games so kind of your uh your 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 Starfinder, your Pathfinder, mm-hmm. your Dungeons and Dragons, your we're going on a quest to do the thing to fight the monsters type of stuff. Dice rolls are very kind of binary. You pass, you fail, mm-hmm. you do the thing, you don't do the thing. And I'm not saying other games don't do that, but so like it, uh, let's use Delta Green for an example. So most games that people will be familiar with are are um, D20 based. You mm-hmm. try and get above a certain number. Call of Cthulhu, Delta Green. A lot of my favorite games, honestly, are based on percentile dice systems, where you have your character is X good at things, and you're trying to roll below that percentile mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. the dice. If your character is 70% good at fighting people with their fists, they will 70% of the time be successful at that. And where I think kind of different, like, and this is kind of where the adventure versus mystery game kind of really diverges in a mystery game your players have to find the clues they have to solve the mystery they have to keep going forward so you can't lock everything behind success and failure you kind of get into the use that you get used to the idea of like cascading failure and Mm -hmm. it's one of those things where kind of like I, i know yeah if my players wind up in this bar they're going to find x they have to for the story to work type of thing. Mm-hmm. How they go about that and how successful they are in that, that's dice-driven. And kind of, and that's where, and I think Hawthorne did a good job of kind of highlighting this, is that we have some moments that, like, I set them up as, like, yeah, this is going to be, like, a pivotal moment for the characters in the arc. And because of dice rolls, because of how the mechanics kind of play out in that kind of five-minute span, it goes from being, being like this, like, okay, yeah, this is a big moment where a reveal happened, Cut to two characters on the floor having nervous breakdowns, one's throwing up in a trash can because the dice rolls went terribly for mm. them. And like it adds to it at that point, I guess. It's not like it's you you have a moment, you have a bad moment, you have this kind of big aha moment the players are reacting to it versus kind of grappling with it. And that's the kind of the way these games work. It's like, okay, yeah, here's what you learned. Roll some dice to tell me how you react. Okay, two of you failed sand tests. Okay, cool. How bad did you fail those sanity tests? Okay, really badly in one of your cases. Give me a constitution check. Why? Just give it to me. (laughs) Okay, now give me a dex check. Why? You successfully grab a trash can to throw up into while you're having your nervous breakdown. (laughs) And you can kind of go into this beautiful flow track. I think like the... One of the funniest moments in the podcast so far is actually in the first season of Delta Green Up, JSL Files, where we were very focused on the skipping out on work, the kind of the, the, hey, you're ditching your day job to go do Delta Green stuff and kind of the ramifications of that. And one of the funniest moments was a character was pretending to be sick to get out of work type of thing, and they Mm -hmm. low-grade poisoned themselves. And the dice rolls kept betraying them, so it went from like, (laughs) oh yeah, you were pretending to be sick, to no, you actually poisoned yourself and (laughs) threw up all over your boss. And like, it is this very real moment of like, oh god, I just took this thing that will make me feel ill and give me a legitimate excuse to, I might get fired because I projectile vomited all over my boss as he was coming to talk to me about how I keep getting sick and taking sick time. (laughs) What? It's like, yeah, it, <laughs> comedic, but also like because it's a real fear a normal person might have. Yeah, horrifying. 
<laughs> I think I think you read my mind a little bit because the the reason why I asked that question um, is I wanted to ask about as I said my during my research I was on Wikipedia looking at all these types of of horror and you've got the main ones that you've mentioned already but then you've also got like a, a, it's all literary based right on books and films and it was all there was like a, there's like a weird weird horror and then there's new weird which is like the 21st century version yeah yeah it's, they're all sub 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 genres and then mishmash and all this other like cult and then classic horror and then like werewolf has its own sub genre for like metamorphosis horror blah 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 what i'm getting at is that there's loads of stuff that i'd never even begun to understand and then it made me think like because it's so vast and nuanced and layered and you know, mired in subgenres. How does that translate to running a game at a table? Something that's so full of its own nuances, full of its own drawbacks and pitfalls. How can we bring in this huge thing and and try and meld it into the medium of TTRPGs, which is very much its own thing, its own beast in of itself? And that is the first question, which then made me think like you have these dice rolls that you've just been going through. Can that, can that undermine the atmosphere? And the example I thought of in my head was like, you're in, you know, you've, you've done all this foreshadowing as the GM, you've done all this hard work. You, you go into, they're in some spooky catacombs or whatnot. And you, you've worked your ass off to have this atmosphere. And then one of the player characters says, I want to, do something a bit audacious. I want to, you know, some skeletons are rising up. I want to bash all the skeletons down in one hit, or I want to do something with the light to make it illuminate the whole room so we can see everything. And it's a hard roll, but maybe they roll really well and it's just sweeps the rug out of this atmosphere, completely undermines the atmosphere because of a dice roll. And I wanted to get your take on on that. Am I completely bonkers? Am I, or is that something, no, that's no, something no. to be... So I'm... I got two reactions to that. Anyone who's ever played with me, I think I cut it out of the podcast mostly, but anyone who's ever played with me knows I love the phrase, I'm looking for failure, which is like half the dice rolls I'll make people roll. It's like, I'm like, no, no, I'm looking for a critical failure right now. You're going to do this unless your character majestically screws up in the worst way possible type mm-hmm. of thing. Like it's, I'm looking for kind of that worst case scenario to happen to kind of, then we'll play with it. And it might be like, yeah, you're doing this in like a 10 put it on the table and it collapses, making a loud noise, and there goes your stealth vibe or something. But to kind of get more to what you're saying specifically, mm-hmm. I think there's, it's it's a more modern thing, I guess. And I think it's kind of, I'm not advocating for when I'm saying this, like I do think, like I think a lot of GMs and DMs and a variety of other people go out of their way to being too accommodating of players trying to try stuff. And I'm not saying you shouldn't encourage and foster creativity in your play like yeah we drop the chandelier on them to kill the monster yeah that's totally fine Mm -hmm. i think there's uh, a lot of players are expecting or kind of have gotten away with or have encountered situations where they can within reason do whatever they want Mm -hmm. and my definition of within reason is not the same as most other people i've learned and it's one of those ones where it's like like, to use you're like i want to do the light thing it's like okay how do you do that Mm. Well, I do the light thing. No, no. How do you do that? No, I, I, I move the light. Yeah, I don't care that you're doing that. How are you actually doing that? Explain yeah. to me how your character does that. And if they can't explain that to me, I'll be like, no, you can't do that. Like, you don't know what you're doing. Your characters don't know what they're doing. Like, mm-hmm. 
like I like the idea, but you're you're not capable of doing that as a character. I I know what you mean. I think as as I was explaining to it, it more and more became obvious to me that I think that's less of a mechanical question and more of a social question. And I think, and this is something I've definitely talked about in the podcast before about meeting in the middle and trusting players and trusting each other and trusting the games master and that as a player to be like, okay, I know the GM is working hard to achieve this atmosphere. I probably shouldn't do anything that's gonna undermine it. And and here's where the, the tough decisions come in, because it might be the case of like, ah, oh, my player, my, my character maybe would really want to do this, but I know what is happening right now. So I might take a step back to just let everybody else appreciate the vibe. Well, I think that's, I'm probably not coming off the way I want to on this one. It's, I think that's fine. I think it's one of those ones where you can use the mechanics to kind of enforce uh, what you're going for. Like, use your skeletons popping up and bashing things. I want to bash all of them. Mm-hmm. Do you have like a cleave attack? Well, no, I've only got one attack versus one thing. Okay, you can bash one of the skeletons, but also now you're like surrounded by the skeletons, just mm. making sure we're clear on how this is going to work. Yeah. Yeah, like it's, you can use the mechanics to kind of back up that, where it's like, no, do the cool thing, but understand, like, there are rules to what you can do with the cool thing. Or like, yeah, it's as hard, or like, that sure sounds like something you'd be bad at as a character with your background. <laughs> no, I, I completely subscribe to that, to that train of thought as well. And I understand where you're coming from in terms of like players being able to do, like, I want to do this, that, and the other, but it's like, no, you know, tell me, I, I'm a huge fan of that. Tell me, tell me, how are you achieving? How are you achieving that? Something that personally irks me. And this is again, full disclosure, personal, and it's, it's me as a, as a human being here talking, but you know, like the help action in D&D is, is a classic example of like, I just want to help this person do that thing to give them advantage on the role. And that, if I'm in a game where the player gets away with <laughs> gets away with that scot free and just gets advantage, it, that irks me because I'm like, no, how how are you? How, someone's trying to break open a door with a crowbar. How do you help other than just like, like en- encouraging them with some kind words? Is <laughs> well, no, and so that's that's the thing I get into as well, where it's like, how do you apply advantage in this situation? Uh, you can't apply advantage. Crowbarring a door, it's like, okay, do you kick the door? Mm. Like. Uh, yeah, it's one of those things where like, I'm not sure you can help, but you can also like attack the door yourself. I, yeah, I think there's kind of some gray zone when it comes to that stuff where it's to use D&D specifically. I'm not sure I'd allow advantage in that. Okay, I'm going to pick the lock. I give advantage. How? Mm-hmm. How are you possibly helping the yes. situation? Like, you in the air being like, I believe you can do this. Do it. You're good for this. Like, it's like, is that what your character's doing? Like, unless you're a bard, I'm not going to let you do that. I, I love that example because it's like, the person picking the lock is already the best person at picking locks. So anybody else trying to help them is is not as good as them. <laughs> well, and to go back to kind of the lying to your players thing, I have uh, definitely not exactly in D&D, but had a moment, okay, I helped the cleric. I'm like, okay, cool, roll. Okay, now roll for advantage. Yeah, because you're actually a distraction, you're disadvantaged now. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell were you thinking would be helpful? <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. That's perfect. And I and I think to try and bring I know I've brought us on this stupid digressed path about the mechanics when we were talking about nice esoteric horror stuff, but um I think to answer my own question around like can the mechanics undermine the atmosphere? And I think and please tell me if I'm being an idiot, but I think my answer would be 
it can if you let it. And yeah. it's, it's one of those GM toolkit things of being like, it's within your power to not let it in, in through various ways. Oh, I think to kind of bring this full circle in some ways, to kind of bring it back to something like I said very early on in this podcast, some games have horror as a mechanic built into the game. Your Call of Cthulhu's, your Delta Greens, anything that has a stat that basically is influenced by your exposure to horror elements. Delta Green has sanity, Tell of Cthulhu has sanity. Mm-hmm. A game I like a lot that's an indie game called Locus basically has, I think it's called Stress in that game? Mm. Or basically it's the idea in that one where the more weird stuff you've seen, the more failure you've had, the more, God, this is spooky going on around you, the worse your character gets at everything, mm-hmm. as would make sense. Uh, the jump to a game I haven't talked about yet, uh, Alien from Free League, the Alien yeah. RPG, I think is a fantastic first horror game, horror game for people. Partially because I think the Year Zero engine is a system more groups should talk about. Like if you're your Zero Engine that's put out by Free League, it's for mm-hmm. a bunch of their games. I could list them all off if you wanted me to. But if you're looking for to try something new, I can't recommend any of their stuff enough because the Year Zero Engine slots into a bunch of things. You can play a space game. You can play a horror space game. You can play two different medieval games, I think. Maybe it's just one at this point. But they have three different horror games you can play kind of off of this one system that are dramatically different. Mm-hmm. Like, two of them are basically Stranger Things, one of them's Alien, one of them is called Vossen, it's their... Um, yes, yeah, I heard of that one, yeah. Yeah, it's their kind of Scandinavian-inspired mystery, supernatural investigatory mm-hmm. game, which I like, but also, given the fact they're making a Call of Cthulhu game, allegedly, I don't get why it exists, but at the same <laughs> time, it's got a cool art style. Mm-hmm. I've heard very good things about Alien uh, for, the, for the exact reasons that you mentioned. But that begs my a very good question from my point of view then. So you made a very good delineation there between games with horror as a mechanic versus games that don't. So I know, broadly speaking, D&D doesn't. I know there's some effects if you go to some certain pandemonium planes that you, you roll yeah. and you might go a bit goofy because of the you're on a different plane of existence but it's not embedded it's not in, like in the basic rules shall we say it's not you know a fundamental part of the game it's a, it's an optional thing that may or may not happen so presumably you prefer games where it is baked into the mechanics but how do you think that changes the experience and why do you prefer it when it's the, the horror element is baked into the mechanics like to me as a completely ignorant outsider that to me is like telling you how your character should feel Am I, I don't want to like. No, so it's um I, I'm a crunch guy. I come from a long background in the crunchier the game, the better. In some ways, I have veered off some as I've gotten older and realized, like I, not not to sound braggy, but like mm-hmm. my early days of tabletop RPGs were in third edition Shadowrun nerds, like. <laughs> Tables on tables, I could roll 30 dice and still fail type of game type of (laughs) stuff, where if you wanted to build a god character, you could, because you could take enough weaknesses and advantages that, like, it's like, okay, yeah, I'm immune to all types of damage, but I'm also bloodthirsty. How is that a disadvantage? Yeah. Because the game says it is. Yeah, it's a longabout way of saying that I basically kind of, I, I come from a kind of mechanically heavy background, and... As a result, I really appreciate games that are more narrative-focused. Like Mm -hmm. Delta Green, a lot of my favorite games at this point aren't anywhere near as crunch as I like them to be. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of 
there's a freeing aspect to that, and I think it's one of those ones where use D&D as an example. D&D is not a horror game. Nah. It's not great at horror. But Strahd exists. And I'm not the biggest fan of Strahd at the end of the day, kind of given... I think it's evolved nicely over time. I think it's a beloved tenant of the mm-hmm. or kind of flagpole of the community. I don't think it's a great vampire story in some ways. I think it doesn't go far enough, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I get it. Like the the changes made to the modern version were very smart, and I think we're good progress for that thing. And it's not the way I'd tell a vampire story, but it's a very traditional yeah. Count Dracula story that fits in D and D. Can I just say I'm very proud that we've gone this far in the show to only now just mention Strad. I'm I'm very happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't think I've started as a horror campaign. I think it's a campaign with horror elements is the Ooh. real answer. I think it tries too hard at certain points to be horror driven. Like it's, I think it's one of those ones where because of D and D, a lot of people look at it and go, "Oh, it's a horror thing" because it's more horrifying than what they're used to. Mm-hmm. And those of us from the Call of Cthulhu, Eldritch Horror kind of character dies instantaneously realm go that's cute but <laughs> how quaint your character can fight the evil that's adorable <laughs> condescending as hell so where i was going with the whole mechanic aspect of it is in dungeons and dragons you only have one health bar in call of cthulhu delta green kind of the sandy driven games that have mechanics around that you have two health bars technically yeah and you can build like, you can build a character that kind of makes both your health bars functional, but you're sacrificing a lot. Like mm-hmm. uh, Hawthorne's Crusade is a character that's built um, that's uh, Agent Florence, Doctor Florence, I guess I should probably use her full title, is built to withstand sanity damage like no one else in that game. I think she has single digit hit points though. Technically, like, if she ever is shot or attacked, she probably dies almost instantly. Like, yes. Yeah. It's a very kind of glass cannon approach to that aspect of the character, and that's how that game's meant to work. I think in a game like Dungeons & Dragons, because your characters are so inherently powerful, it's more about kind of vibe and theming as opposed to trying to lump those mechanics in there type of thing. Like A sandy mechanic in Dungeons & Dragons doesn't work because you're right. It does dictate how your character in theory should feel, but also based on how you interact with the world in that game, you're not going to get that same reaction out of it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's the searching aspects of that game. There's not, the, there's not the rules or the mechanics necessarily to, at base, you can totally hack that game to do other stuff if you see fit. Like, I've seen some people take that game to interesting directions where they kind of expand certain skills into lots of other skills that, again, us in the Call of Cthulhu kind of eldritch horror world are like, yeah, we've had those skills for a while cool you made them up but like here's a list of things you could have just pulled from and it's not new <laughs> again it's not me knocking D, just it's occasionally it feels like people say oh i invented this no you you didn't so this actually used to even be in D <laughs> yeah two editions ago okay that's but, interesting yeah, it's, yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a sense of history and scope i guess and i can I, I kind of go back to D's horror setting it's about putting it there as kind of a backdrop and kind of making your monsters horrific and kind of adding Mm -hmm. the descriptions. You're never going to kind of mechanically get that same dread though in it just because the characters are powerful and Mm -hmm. hard to kill compared to lots of other stuff out there. Like it's a, you're interacting with it differently. You get to fight the monsters. um, Yeah. And that just changes how the thing feels. No, absolutely. I think that's like such a, thank you for putting that so eloquently. I think it's a nice marriage between the mechanic side of things and then the, like there's the other stuff you've described like it being an unknowable fear and, and this that and the other i think 
marrying those two in such a way, you know, getting that Venn diagram as close to a perfect circle as possible is that that is where the gold lies. That is where the the good times come from. Is is having that marriage of the mechanical things from the ground up plus the you know the genuine. I, I, well. If you're going to sound pretentious, so will I. Uh, "Quote unquote," the genuine horror uh, <laughs> elements. No, and I think if people are kind of interested in kind of so, there's an expansion. I think it's out right now for D and D. It's um, I think called the Ruins of Sumbarum. I It's there's a game I love out there called Sumbarum that they made a five E mm-hmm. setting guide for, and the setting of Sumbarum is why you play Sumbarum. Like, that game has a couple other problems. I love the game despite them type of thing. Yeah. It is one of the few adventure games out there, kind of very adventure-focused, very we're-gonna-go-raid-the-dungeon-centric game that actually pulls off horror. And I'm not quite sure how the 5 eified rules for it work, but it does that by making magic horrifying to use. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, yeah, you have to, like, oh yeah, we have these priests, we have these wizards, et cetera, et cetera. And using magic causes their skin to blister and turn dark. And it goes away unless you use too much of it. And then your character slowly mutates into a monster over time. Mm. Again, it's it, it's a grim dark setting. It's one of the few grim dark things that doesn't feel kind of like a bad copy of some of the Warhammer type yes, of stuff. It's yeah. very uniquely its own thing. It's got this very kind of fun. We're not quite the Industrial Revolution, but we're also not quite the Dark Ages, and I think the tech lines up nicely for it. It's it's a low magic setting that you could have an entire party of very competent magic users. I, it's it's a very interesting, it's a uniquely it thing, and I highly recommend anyone who's been kind of like I recommend going and checking out what I call real Sumbrum or kind of traditional Sumbrum, the rules for Sumbrum, because I think they're an amazing set of rules for that type of game. Mm-hmm. I think it does a very good job of bringing back some of the crunchier character creation stuff that I miss from older adventure games, but still keeping it very streamlined and new player friendly and mechanically quite like, no, it's pass fail. It's simple. Yeah. Like it's, it works quite well. You can pick it up almost instantly some type of thing. Modern quality of life improvements. Yeah. 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 And it's not even that modern a game. Like it could use some refinement. I, as much as I love the base book for it, that base book could use a second edition that just kind of, fixes how mm. the information's laid out in it some but sure i think it's there's a lot to learn from that game and i think i haven't not, I haven't, unfortunately I haven't read it yet and i probably won't get around to it anytime soon but the 5 eification of it the sumbrum community was kind of worried like hey we're doing this thing we're like so you're gonna keep supporting original sumbrum right and the answer is yeah and we're all happy about that but the reaction's been very positive to them bringing over kind of what makes sumbrum feel uniquely sumbrum to D&D, and I think a lot of people that struggle with how to do horror or kind of how what horror works in adventure type setting should check out the Sumbrum stuff. Like, it's at a minimum, it's a very interesting world to be familiar with. I think it's, it's not as high fancy, fantasy or kind of interesting as, um, what's it, Emberom, Erberom? The Eberom. steampunk yeah. one that came out. Yeah, it's, it's not... It's not that one. It's not as friendly as that one. It's not as it's not as clean as any D and D world has been to date. Like it's very weird that like the hell dimension of anything Watsky's ever done is still somehow nicer than the default setting of Simbrum, where it's like yeah, it's a town, and that's kind of part of it with kind of the art style of that game. Like it's the, everything about that game is kind of tied up in what that game exactly is. It's trying to be nothing but itself, which mm. I give it points for. But I think it's yeah. I, 
look to that game where it's like it's not inherently a horror game but it's got very good horror elements yeah that you can leverage yeah the lore of it kind of feeds into yeah no this is like you're going into this haunted forest how haunted it might be a gateway to hell it <laughs> might not it might be worse but yeah go in there and raid some tombs but you just said hell dimension yeah go and raid some tombs though why because we're paying you to go do it what's in the tomb Ah, <laughs> hell uh <laughs> yeah it's some of the lore that gets crazy for that game like uh, spoilers but not really it's in the two it's two in the it's in two of the base books there are three species in the game that are just different evolutionary tracks of each other and how far they go underneath the cursed forest to go through essentially metamorphosis mm. And it's cool. Yeah. Like it, it's as a result, it's kind of cool. It's like, yeah, this is whole. It's like, yeah, there's this cavern system below the forest. What's in it? Death. <laughs> like metaphorically, yes. But actually, yes. Also, literally, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Six of one and half a dozen of the other. <laughs> there, there may be a giant mass of eyes and shapes that used to be a deer down there, too. It also might be death. You said a deer. Yeah, it shouldn't have gone into that cave. <laughs> Stupid Bad deer. <laughs> anyway, you have to go now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thank you for that tip there and suggestion. Um, is there anything you wanted to talk about that we might have missed? And I, I, yeah, I can only imagine yes, but. Uh, the answer is yeah, but I think we've covered everything I can think of in this area. We've definitely branched out significantly. I've gotten to promote two of my favorite games out there in the modern <laughs> world right now, so I'm happy about that. Yeah, good, good. If I can get one person to try a Delta Green or Sumbaroom on any of these things, I'm always happy. <laughs> I, I, no, for sure. And I'm I'm super happy as well because it could have been very easy just to do like, let's talk about Strahd for an hour. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we we've covered some more as i said like esoteric and more kind of trickier topics so no thank you thank you very much for that no yeah it goes back to kind of the point i made of the lots of stuff i I get people love 5e and i get why people love 5e 5e won't be here forever there's lots of games out there that i'm not saying you should stop playing 5e but variety is the spice of life like Mm -hmm. try something new every once in a while i've never regret like i've had games i hated but i'm still like okay i learned something interesting from this yeah it's no it's always you know there's a tools are specialized to do certain things and you wouldn't use a hammer to you know unscrew the washer of your tap i mean you could definitely get there in the end but it would be a, a mess uh and in, in the same <laughs> way you that, have a tap still <laughs> in, in the same way that like there are certain ttrpg systems out there that are designed from the ground up to enable certain types of play so yeah absolutely yeah. that's just the way of the world but uh no so th- thank you very much for that is there is there anything you would like to promote obviously i mentioned negative modifier a couple times throughout this but yes if anything i've talked about any of the games i've talked about interest you you should go check out the negative modifier podcast we post weekly when we are kind of in a campaign and as of recording this we are very much in a campaign and will be for the foreseeable future our episodes go up on Wednesday, depending on your time zone and your geographical mm-hmm. location, but Wednesday for me at least is when we say stuff goes up. It's for many up there a little bit sooner, but yeah, no, we post weekly. We're doing Delta Green stuff right now. We have a couple kind of pre-recorded seasons already done. You can go check out if you find us interesting. We can be found anywhere podcasts are found. Also on YouTube, we have a Twitch we use. Every once in a while, same name. If you Easy way to find us, just type negative modifier into anything you're looking for, or go to negativemodifier.com, and that'll take you to kind of our nice little list of links you can find us on and other stuff like that. But yeah, I if you're looking for horror stuff, we are 
No one has been upset since they checked us out, is our joke we always have. Like if you, <laughs> we seem to have a very loyal fan base once they show up. They occasionally do not like the stories we tell or how they end, but the stories are good up until people get angry at them. Or it's like, I wouldn't have done that. Well, we did, so. <laughs> well, so as usual, all the, all the links will be in the description. I do encourage you to check them out. If anything we've talked about today has piqued your interest in the, the horror genre of, of TTRPGs. So uh, all that's left to say is thank you ever so much, Charlie, for this insightful discussion on horror. Thank you for having me. Thank you, everybody, for listening at home. Yeah, as, as, as usual, please like, comment, subscribe, all the, all the usual spooky stuff that you get asked to do. And uh, yeah, thank you all for listening, and good night. And now it's time for the Patreon shoutouts. Once again, thank you to Matt Street at MPStreet88 on Twitter for supporting the show. If you need support running your personal or business schedule, head to virtualtimehustle.com or on Instagram to make that difference between should do and done. Boss it better with support from Kat, who will help you get back that essential time you've been searching for. If you would like to support what we do and get four shoutouts a month, head over to patreon.com slash thinkingcritically, or you can just buy me a coffee at ko-fi.com slash thinkingcritically. I would also like to humbly request that you drop me a rating on Spotify, which is a thing now you can do on the mobile app, or just a like, subscribe, follow, shout out, tell your friends. Anything would be hugely appreciated, probably more than the other stuff, to be honest. So thanks again for listening, and bye.